The following healthcare educational series is brought to you by Veridical. To learn more, visit veridical.com. And now, here are your hosts. Good afternoon and welcome to this educational series brought to you by Veridical. My name is Todd Schnick, joined by my colleague Todd Youngblood. Todd, I'm looking forward to our conversation today about the 340B drug discount program. Yeah, I am too, Todd. I think it's important in, a, in a lots of different ways. I mean, primarily I look at someone who's getting the proper prescriptions and medications ahead of time can either either mitigate or even eliminate bigger, much more expensive problems down the road. So it's important that folks understand how the thing works. I agree. All right. Well, we are joined today by Tom Renshaw. He's the Senior Vice President of Pharmacy Services at Vertical. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Tom. Well, it's good to have you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Tom, before we get into our conversation, take a, a few seconds and tell us a little bit about you and your background. I started my pharmacy career at Parkland Hospital way back in 1987. I was the associate director of pharmacy there for numerous years. I was involved in a lot of the IT projects, uh, managing drug procurement around 340B. I wore a lot of different hats. Uh, then I moved on and I was actually the director of the 340B prime vendor, Apexis, which helps to sequester even lower discounts than the standard ceiling 340B price. And then I have moved on uh, into the consulting world. Uh, I work with ESI doing consulting for pharmacy healthcare systems. And for the last two years, uh, have been at Veritical and, and worked in a consulting role there, trying to optimize both procurement and reimbursement for uh, healthcare systems. Well, Todd, I think this gentleman is well qualified to educate you and I in the 340B drug discount program. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> hey, Tom, one last thing before we really get into it. Take a quick second and give us the 10,000-foot view on Vertical. How do you guys, what do you guys do? How do you serve your market? Vertical is somewhat of a unique company in that we try to improve business optimization around pharmacy reimbursement. Uh, a lot of companies don't, or healthcare systems, uh, hospitals, if you will, they really focus on the acute care side of things, and they don't manage the the business side of an outpatient pharmacy as well as they could. We help them with tools, uh, consulting, a variety of different mechanisms to make sure that not only are they providing the appropriate clinical care, but they're doing it in a way to, to stay fiscally operational. And, and with all of the Affordable Care Act and, and changes in healthcare, that's kind of a moving ball. So we help hospitals and, and retail pharmacies kind of keep up with all of the changes in the market and, and stay. We do the, the back office part of the world that they can focus on the clinical front end piece that they really are trained to do. Well, Tom, before we dive down into the weeds of the 340B program, can you give us a 10,000 foot kind of overview of what it's all about? The 340B program really is a drug procurement program where they're called covered entities. And there's a couple different ways that you can uh, be a covered entity. But if you're a covered entity, you can purchase drugs at a substantially discounted price 
than you would if you were, you know, buying it from a, a non-covered entity price. And I can get into the, the, you know, the details of that, but basically it's just a very good price for drug. And you use that savings that you're saving on the drug procurement to help subsidize care for those indigent patients. Uh, and that was the overall purpose is to help fund care for, for people who can't fund themselves. Well, Tom, uh, give us some background in the program itself. How did it get started? You go back to like 1990, and that's when Congress created a Medicaid rebate program to lower the cost of uh, pharmaceuticals to state Medicaid agencies. And when a drug company who sells to those organizations if they want to participate in the Medicaid program, which you almost have to as a drug company, you had to sign an agreement, a rebate agreement with the Secretary of the Health and Human Services as a precondition for the coverage of that drug and Medicare Part B. And then there were some issues. During that two-year period between 1990 and 92, Congress looked at that pricing model and decided that they needed to extend it to safety net providers. And when I say safety net providers, I'm talking about the covered entities that have the overall focus of of making sure underserved and indigent patients get care. So in 1992, I think it was November, Section 340B, and that's where the program got its name from, is there's a section in the law of the Public Health Service Act, uh, and it was created under Section 602 of the Veterans Healthcare Act, that basically defined the program as it lives today. Tom, I just want to make sure I understand. You, you've you mentioned Medicaid and used the term safety net provider. Just exactly what are the eligibility requirements and guidelines? They're varied depending on what type of organization you are. I'll get into a little bit of the different types of programs that you, you can be. There are six real Originally, there were six different categories of hospitals. There was of healthcare agencies, disproportionate share hospitals, children's hospitals, cancer hospitals. There is uh, critical access hospitals. Then you have what are called federally qualified health centers, FQHCs. They don't have to qualify. They're automatically, if you're a federally qualified health center, then you're in. You don't have to have a certain payer mix like a hospital would. Hospitals, there's a component called a a Medicaid dish adjustment percentage, and it has to be higher than 11.75 to qualify if you're a disproportionate share hospital. So a hospital that treats a a large amount of insurance with with somewhat wealthy patients would not qualify for 340B. A, A place like Cook County or Parkland or Jackson Memorial Grady and Atlanta, those would qualify because most of their patients are indigent and don't have insurance. The federally qualified programs like AIDS drugs, uh, Ryan White Care Centers, uh, Black Lung, Tuberculosis, Family Planning, STD Clinics, Hemophilia Treatment Centers, there's, there's certain organizations like those that they don't have to qualify, they're in. So the, the only qualification is for hospitals, and it has to do with the, their cost report and how many indigent patients they take care of. Well, Tom, help us understand who, who actually administers the 340B program. Uh, that's a great question because it's very complicated to make sure that all of these, these criteria are met in terms of qualifying as a disproportionate share hospital. The Office of Pharmacy Affairs is the government agency that is in, in charge of managing it, and they're under the uh, Health Resources and Services Administration uh, within HHS. 
who administers the program. So HRSA and OPA are both located, and OPA is Office of Pharmacy Affairs, and they're both located in Rockville, Maryland. So that's where any guidance for the program comes from. Tom, give us, a, give us an overview of how the whole program works. I mean, I'm getting the impression that as a, as a patient, it's not something that a patient would, would necessarily even be aware of, and it's really the, the health-providing organization that, that is really operating the thing. Is that right? That's correct. That's absolutely correct. And, and that's a lot of misconception currently in the program is that the program from its inception was intended to benefit the providers of the indigent care. It's not for the, the patients, it's for the hospitals and other covered entities to remain solvent. It's a way to boost their revenue stream so that they are allowed to perform the care that you know their, their mission dictates for them. The real problem is that a lot of people now have, have looked at certain scenarios where you have a, a patient mix and one of the patients will have no insurance and, and 340B makes sense for them, but they also will have patients that have insurance and the, the hospital will actually make a pretty good profit because they buy it at a very discounted rate on 340B, but they're reimbursed at a higher rate. And so people are saying, well, that's not right. 340B is for indigents. Well, it's for everybody. And globally, it still is helping the hospital give basically free care to those indigent patients. So making more than they should on a few patients that have insurance is not really a bad thing. It's the way it was, the program was designed. Yeah, Tom, I almost hate to ask a, a follow-up question on it because I'm such a fan of the, of the program overall. But is there fraud and how is that, how is that prevented? I mean, you kind of addressed it a little bit, you know, with the, the folks that have some kind of insurance, but are, are there abuses in there and how do you prevent that? There can be abuses. One of the biggest, I think, opportunities for abuse is there's, there's a definition of a patient that is critical in determining whether a person is qualified for the program. You have to have your medical records stored at the facility uh, you have to be seen at the brick and mortar of the facility. And so a lot of hospitals have opted to use 340B for employees. That may or may not qualify. I mean, if the employee meets the definition of a patient, then it, it's qualified and it's okay. But just because they're an employee of the hospital does not make them a qualified patient. So if they meet the definition of patient by the, the letter of the law, then it's okay to use it for employees. If they don't, then they shouldn't. And I, I think that a lot of people in the country have used 340B in that arena. Uh, I'm sure that some of them, it was used inappropriately. Some, it is used. Uh, but that, that's probably, to me, the biggest source of possible diversion. Tom, there's obviously been an awful lot of conversation and debate and change in the healthcare arena across this country with Obamacare and all that that implies. I have to wonder if with all these changes and all this flux in the healthcare conversation, uh, can can we should we expect changes in the 340B program? Yeah, we should. We definitely should. If the Obama dream of universal healthcare was truly implemented, I think that then the question arises: Do we really need the 340B program because now no one is underserved? But I think that's somewhat utopian in that. A, universal health care, most of the projections I've seen, is somewhat unplausible. 
Uh, there's lots of undocumented people in the country that you know would still need care. There's people that I don't think that they're called indigent, but they're underinsured. You know, they couldn't even pay their insurance premiums. So this universal health care idea, if you have a payment structure that they can't afford, well, then that's not plausible. So in my mind, there's always going to be some sort of safety net that has to be in place for the people that, that fall through the cracks. All right. We'll be back with Tom Renshaw after this short break. Why choose Ridicle? Today, four of the top eight group purchasing organizations, 15 of the top 20 pharmacy information systems, three of the top five drug wholesalers, and hundreds of healthcare providers rely on Vertical for supporting their reporting, analysis, and monitoring of wide-ranging healthcare data. Organizations choose Vertical Solution Set for its advanced technical capabilities, sophisticated analytics, superior data, and user scalability, all while improving the level and variety of services delivered to clients. Learn more about the Vertical product set at Vertical.com, LinkedIn, or Facebook. All right, and we're back with Tom Renshaw, Senior Vice President of Pharmacy Services at Vertical. Tom, I just um, let's get into this conversation here. Let's talk about how do covered entities actually obtain discounts? And you might just want to do a quick recap on exactly what a covered entity is. The covered entity is basically a body that is going to purchase drugs in the program. Uh, They have to sign up on the HRSA OPA website and be qualified. Uh, They define themselves as a a covered entity, and if they're approved, then upon registration approval, the covered entity uh, contacts their wholesaler, and that's basically one of of three players nationally. Uh, There's a few regional ones, but the three big ones nationally are Cardinal, Amerisource Bergen, or McKesson, and that's who they buy their drugs from. So they contact their wholesaler, and they set up a 340B account and request a 340B price list. Once that entity uh, receives that price list from the manufacturers, uh, they check the OPA website. The manufacturers check the OPA website each quarter to identify who's participating, and the manufacturer can't charge the three more than the 340B ceiling price for drugs to those covered entities. Uh, manufacturers are not huge fans of this because it's it's a substantially lower price. But if they want to get Medicaid rebates, they don't have a choice. It's, it's the government's way of basically uh, shifting funds to make sure that the, the richer institutions in healthcare uh, help fund. And it's not just a tax-based uh, system to, for the indigent care. Tom, before the break, you talked a little bit about folks that, that are not, or patients, that are not uh, eligible to, to receive drugs under the 340B program. I just wanted to give you a chance to clarify who is, in fact, eligible from a, from a patient perspective. Patients of the hospital that physicians see that their medical record is kept in the actual for the walls of the building and the care is, is administered at the, the hospital site. So, it doesn't matter if you have insurance or not. That's not part of the, the test because the, the qualification for 340B is at the hospital level, not at the patient level. It's more of a, a global view of the hospital and what percentage of indigent care you take. So there's not financial requirements at the patient level. That's at the hospital level. Uh, what you see is 
any penalties for failing to comply with that as far as diversion is that they could lose their, the hospital could lose 340B globally. So they just want to make sure that they're not giving 340B drug to facilities uh, or to uh, other people that are not receiving their care at the hospital. Now, the one exception to that that was created after the original 340B uh, program was started is a contract pharmacy model. Uh, this was created for, uh, let's use a rural hospital as, as an indicator. If the patient lived far away from the hospital, then they might want to get their, uh, their drugs from a uh, pharmacy that is closer to their house as opposed to driving all the way to the hospital each time. So the government allowed for a bill to ship to. So it, they're still buying the drug officially. The covered entity, the hospital, is buying the drug, but the contracted pharmacy is where the drug is shipped to. This enables the, the net to be thrown much wider than it would have been if you just limited it to the covered entity's physical location. The contract pharmacy model has actually caused an exponential growth of the program. In the last five years, the program has almost doubled every year uh, in terms of, of size. So it's probably, it's, it's good and it's bad. It's good in that it's given more availability of drugs to patients that need it. It's bad in that it's made the program grow to a point where now it's getting quite a bit of looking at from, you know, Congress, from drug manufacturers. As the, the program grows and grows and grows, it's a bigger percentage of the total healthcare spend. It's still quite small percentage-wise. I think it's up to uh, six, seven billion. I don't know the exact number this year, but six or seven billion sounds like a big number until you look at the total U.S. drug spend, which is around 300 billion plus. So it's still a small percentage of the total U.S. drug spend, but drug companies view it as, as you know, you got to put a bubble around this program. It can't keep growing. Tom, just a quick clarification for me. I just want to be sure I understand that it is not the patient's responsibility to activate the 340B. It is, it is the responsibility of the covered entity. Am I correct? That is correct. This is all transparent to the, to the patient or should be. All right. Well, let's talk about billing restrictions. Are there any? There are no billing restrictions in terms of patient level billing, except for one very important exception, and that's to Medicaid. If you are billing Medicaid, then you have to basically, Medicaid drugs are subject to rebates. That was part of the genesis of the program to begin with. So they don't want to get a rebate on a drug and have to pay uh, they're paying a rebate and a 340B discount. So they're getting hit and it's, it's referred to as a duplicate discount. They don't want that. So you have to pick one or the other. You're either going to get 340B price drugs, so you're buying at a lower price and you don't get Medicaid rebates, or you buy it at you know a, a normal price and you can have Medicaid rebates. So you pick which one you're going to do uh, as the covered entity at the beginning of registration. That's one of the criteria. You have to do that. And when you, when you pick one, then you basically you register that in the OPA website. Manufacturers have access to it. They know how to handle it from then on. And you set up accordingly in your, your pharmacy information system how uh, you're going to bill Medicaid scripts based on that 
decision. Tom, I want to take you back for a second to, to your comments about the contract pharmacy program. I would imagine that that not all covered entities have an in-house pharmacy. First of all, is that is that accurate? I'm not really sure. And and if so, are they are they covered under that same contract pharmacy clause? That's a great point, Todd. Um, actually, you have a lot of hospitals that do not have uh, a retail pharmacy. Uh, that's part of the the disconnect in, in care, in my opinion, is I think in the future, you're going to see more hospitals have, you know, almost all hospitals will have some retail component uh, because it's, it's important around discharge uh, readmissions to have that, that footprint into the retail space. But currently, a lot of smaller hospitals don't. Your big safety net hospitals that deal with large quantities of prescriptions like Parkland, you know, filling six or 7,000 scripts a day, they have obviously retail functionality, but uh, smaller hospitals that now have qualified for 340B do not, and a contract pharmacy is perfect for them. They don't have to actually build the pharmacy in the hospital. They can you know, build it in the community where most of their patients are, are living or going to. So uh, that's an excellent question, and, and that was kind of the impetus for the contract pharmacy model in the beginning. Tom, I'm actually quite surprised that a lot of facilities do not have an in-house pharmacy. I'm curious if a program like 340B or, heck, even the Obamacare ramifications, is that going to drive or incent a, a facility to, to bring in in-house pharmacies? Great question. The Obamacare Affordable Care Act in and of itself will not, but CMS, the, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid payment, are now officially looking at re- readmission rates and how those uh, can be improved. You know, if you, if you get care and then you go to your home and then within 30 days you have to get readmitted, then there was a disconnect in care there a lot of times that you weren't properly educated, you didn't get the right medications. There was some reason and, and CMS now is going to not pay as much. They're going to cut overall payment to you if you have high readmissions. Uh, having an, an in-house retail pharmacy is one way to improve that that transition of care, and, and I think that you're going to see more and more hospitals uh, opt to to do that as a way of handling and managing patients outside their four walls. Yeah, very interesting. Tom, we've been talking about this drug discount program, uh, the duration of the broadcast, but we really haven't gotten into the actual savings. Uh, how much... How much do 340B participants actually save in this program? The normal purchase price of most hospitals for drugs is on a GPO, which is a group purchasing organization contract. That's where they buy all of their acute care inpatient drugs. And those are are competitively bid and very good prices. 340B on average is 27% below those prices. And in some cases, because the 340B price is actually a calculated price based on a variety of things and has to do with with commercial contracts and if they're over the uh, consumer price index inflation, there's a lot of things that go into that price. But you can have some drugs that are actually priced all the way down to a penny. So a very expensive drug could, could cost a penny in the 340B program. Tom, before we started this conversation, I thought I had a reasonably good grasp on the whole 340B program. There's, there's a lot more to it than, than I realize. And, and I got to believe the, the changes and just keeping up with the latest on, on what's going on within the program is, 
is not necessarily an easy thing to do. How how would I keep up to date? What's the best way for me to do that? Uh, there's a couple different sources of information that uh, you know you you want to get information from either a trusted advisor consultant or from the government if the government will actually specifically answer a question. It's hard to sometimes get somebody at the government to answer, but the government website would be www.hersa.gov forward slash OPA. That will get you the OPA website and a, and a lot of information about the program. There's another facility. It's Apexus, which is the government's uh, chosen vendor uh, for the 340B prime vendor. They have a website with a 340B university and a lot of educational resources, uh, and it's www.340B, P as in Paul, V as in Victor, P as in Paul.com. Those two sources are your best sources from, from a web perspective. There is also a an advocacy group for 340B that, that basically fights for the rights of 340B and safety net hospitals. Uh, that's called Safety Net Hospitals for Pharmaceutical Access, SNAPA. They have basically, they try to represent all of the safety net hospitals in terms of, of making sure laws, uh, you know, they were pushing to get 340B on the inpatient side. It has never happened, but that's one of their goals. Those are the, the three primary sources. Well, let's talk about the work that Vertical does with the 340B program. Talk about how you serve and help your market with that and, and talk about why the audit process is so critical here? The 340B program is is very complex in terms of administration, billing, getting it set up because certain mixed care areas in the hospital, you'll have some inpatient and some outpatient. One thing I haven't mentioned that's that's very critical to the program is 340B is only an outpatient program. So you cannot buy any acute care drugs on the 340B drug program. So when you have an area that has mixed care settings, some inpatients, some outpatients, you have to have tools to determine whether or not this patient is an inpatient or an outpatient. Um, and the way they do that is with things called accumulators. And, and when you have a mixed setting, you will basically accumulate in this, this software and then retrospectively purchase at the 340B price. You have to accumulate up to a package size before you can buy it in those mixed care settings. If it's pure retail, then you just buy it as you go. But if it's, if it's not, then you have to use these, these split billing accumulators. Auditing that is really one of the critical things that Veritical does is looking at how you're doing it. And, and this is at multiple levels down in you know, the details of, of actual transactions, seeing if this is working correctly. But also globally, do you have policy and procedures in place that are accurate and address everything that you need to? Because in, a, in an OPA, OPA or OIG, uh, Office of Inspector General Audit, you have to have your ducks in a row, if you will, in order not to lose the program. So just to clarify, Tom, part of the services that Veritical is providing is pre-audit. It's not necessarily doing the actual audit or getting folks prepared for it, but more training them to get processes and procedures in place so that they, they know that they're in compliance. Exactly. The, the policy and procedure component is it's very lacking. If you go to a lot of hospitals, there's there's not much there. So we help them to get that in place. But we also do an overall assessment of their whole ambulatory outpatient arena. It's not just the 340B program. It's are you utilizing the 340B program 
everywhere you can. And the, the emergency department, uh, you can use it. And a lot of people don't think of the emergency department as an outpatient arena, but it is. And so we, we do a global assessment to make sure they're not only compliant, but optimized. Tom, we've talked uh, several times about different changes. Uh, what's what's the, the newest thing that folks need to be aware of? Uh, I think probably the thing that's critical in most people's mind right now in the 340B program is the GPO exclusion policy that HRSA has pushed out. From the original rulings in the law, there was always an exclusion that you could not purchase group purchase organization drugs on the outpatient side. But there's scenarios where it was somewhat not, not real clear, and they never really forced the issue that much. This year, starting in February, and then they pushed it to August, come August 7th, every hospital has to have an accumulator that basically, there, there's now three types. There used to be GPO purchase drugs for the inpatient and 340B drug uh, purchase for the outpatient. And now there's wholesale acquisition cost drugs, a whack account for things. And they're, they're looking at things purchased on the inpatient side and things purchased on the outpatient side. And if they don't have a charge on the inpatient side for something that was purchased on the inpatient side, then it goes to a whack account and that doesn't go to the 340B accumulator. This is causing people to spend a lot more money on uh, drugs because that whack account there's a disconnect in, in inpatient pharmacy billing. It's not really line item billing. Things get moved and not charged for. And, and so there's a lot of things that are not going to the 340B accumulator that used to. Uh, now they're going into this WAC account. And the WAC account is actually quite a bit higher than the GPO price or the 340B price. Uh, so it's costing hospitals a lot more. They're trying to figure out both technologically how to deal with this issue and then the government is, you know, I think they're still solidifying what their stance on this whole program is. So that's probably the latest thing that everyone is trying to focus on. All right, Tom. Well, this has been very, very helpful in helping certainly me understand uh, the 340B program a lot better. Before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you if they have any questions? And where can they get more information about the work of Veridical? My email address is Thomas Renshaw at Veridical. Dot com. I am available to answer uh, questions that they have about this presentation or any 340B uh, question they might have. I will try to answer it to the best of my ability. Uh, I appreciate the, the time and uh, the questions. All right. Well, we appreciate your time as well. Tom Renshaw, the Senior Vice President of Pharmacy Services at Vertical. It was great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, that wraps this program. On behalf of our guest, Tom Renshaw, my co-host, Todd Youngblood, I am Todd Schnick. This special educational program brought to you by Vertical. We'll be back soon. Thank you.